Welcome to the Indie Matters Podcast, where we talk about the issues that matter most to Nevada. I'm John Ralston, the editor of the Nevada Independent. We have the pleasure today of talking to Wayne Thorley. He's the man, the top man in the elections division of the Secretary of State's office. And Elizabeth Thompson, the managing editor of Nevada Independent, is joining me with the questions. We're a nonprofit news site. You can find us at the Nevada independent.com. And of course, you can find us uh, this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and all kinds of different places. If you want to listen, you can. Tell your friends, tell your enemies, tell everybody about Indie Matters. All right, Wayne Thorley, uh, the the, the election is two months away. Thanks for coming on uh, Indie Matters. Thank you. The uh, pleasure's all mine, and I appreciate you ordering up some cooler weather here in, in Las Vegas for me. That, that is our pleasure. Hi, Elizabeth. <laughs> Thanks for coming. Hi, John. So let's start uh, with kind of a general question, because my, my goal here today, our goal here today, uh, Wayne, is, is essentially to tell people what what's true and what's not. What, what are myths and what are potential real problems uh, in the election? It's a new world now in, in this in this business, in a sense, with, with online uh, uh, registration and, and people online saying wh- whatever they want. People generally are going to wonder. Not, not, I'm not talking about the tinfoil hat crowd who think that something's wrong. People generally are going to wonder, in this age of technology, are their votes safe? Are their votes secure? What's the answer to that? The answer to that is yes. And the Secretary of State's office, both here in Nevada, uh, our county local election officials, and really election administrators all across the country are doing everything they can to make sure that everybody's vote is counted accurately and that the election is run uh, open and fairly. Uh, Here in Nevada, uh, As you mentioned, it's kind of a new world. As more and more of our systems go into the online world or the the IT world, uh, there are issues that come with that. Of course, it increases convenience and access to the election, but there's also security risks that come with that. Um, And as we all know, uh, and stories that came out of the 2016 general election, uh, we've had to really increase our core competency at the Secretary of State's office as it relates to information security. And, you know, election administrators wear multiple hats. After the 2000 election and Bush, Bush v. Gore, we kind of all became uh, at-home lawyers. And uh, after the 2016 election, now we're, we're all IT professionals and we're, and we're learning. Uh, and thankfully, we've got a great staff at the Secretary of State's office uh, of real IT professionals that do a good job. Uh, but we're learning ourselves. Um, and so I think the answer to that question is is your vote is secure and uh, you should have confidence in the, the electoral process in Nevada. You know, you mentioned uh, the, the staff at the Secretary of State's office. I have to say, and this is certainly true of you, I've dealt with you for a while, you're, you're, a, total pro, you're a total pro, but the staff in general at the Secretary of State's office, whatever the political affiliation is of the Secretary of State, unfortunately, it's an inherently political uh, job because it's elected. That's too bad. That's a discussion for, for another day. But the staff is generally very, very good. You guys have always been very, very responsive uh, to the media, to questions, and you guys know what, n- know what you're doing. But just, just for so, so our audience knows, Wayne, tell, tell a little bit, tell the audience a little bit about what your background is to be doing what you're doing. Sure. I've been with the Secretary of State's office uh, almost four years now. Um, I started out in the operations division um, when uh, Secretary Sagaski uh, took office. Um, and was over the accounting unit and the IT unit. Um, so I started out there and then migrated over into elections, uh, kind of by accident. If you talk to most people in the elections world, uh, they all kind of ended up there by accident. Nobody, uh, as a kid, thinks, Mommy, when I grow up, I want to <laughs> run elections. Um, it's fireman, uh, cop, and then I want to run elections, yes, right? exactly. Maybe astronauts Distant even after third that. third place. Yeah, right. um, but prior to that, I worked for almost seven years at the Nevada legislature uh, in various roles. I was in the research division for a few years. I spent the majority of my time in the fiscal analysis division. So you, 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 ha- you have a lot of background in dealing with these kinds of uh, uh, issues. So uh, l- l- let's talk a little bit about uh, the, the, the coming election. And I'm going to let Elizabeth jump in, uh, in, in, in a second here. Uh, what are the problems that you think you can anticipate 
coming up? Because there's obviously, you hear this every time, this is the biggest election of our lifetime. There's a lot at stake. But we do have a, a, a governor's race and a U.S. Senate race that are going to be nationally watched. There are going to be lawyers who are not going to be your best friends hectoring you pretty soon from Washington, D.C. and elsewhere. I've seen this. I've, I've been around too, way too long. I've seen this before. In 2010, it happened with the Reed Angle race, as you probably know. What are you anticipating could be some problems going uh, into November? Um, well, you're certainly right about the lawyers. Um, <laughs> I'll let you in on a secret as, when, as it relates to election administrators. Uh, we we secretly hope for wide margins right. on election day. Landslides everywhere. Exactly, because if the vote is close, all of a sudden uh, those attorneys that you mentioned become your best friend. Right. So we are working hard to anticipate any problem and, and kind of head those off. Um, one thing we're working on right now is getting uh, intrusion detection systems in place at all the county election offices. Uh, these are, it's a sensor, it's, it's basically a server, it's a piece of hardware that you put behind your firewall at the point nearest to the internet, and it monitors traffic coming into your network. Um, and the it, it has a set of signatures in there, and it'll recognize uh, malicious traffic and then notify you of that. We have what uh, is referred to as a bottom-up voter registration system in Nevada. So each county has their own voter registration database, and then they feed that information up to the Secretary of State's office on a nightly basis. So we have 17 uh, separate county election uh, voter registration data databases. Uh, each one needs to be protected. And Really, what we've seen, uh, based on the indictments that came out a couple of months ago and, and other information that we've received, uh, that a the voter registration information is really kind of the target of individuals. Not not only those that would that seek to undermine democracy, but those that just want to steal information, just regular data thieves, uh, because voter registration information has a treasure trove of data for those that just want to be uh, identity thieves. Uh, so we're really working to shore up those systems because... Those systems are connected to the internet. Um, the vote. Let, let me just slow you down yeah. here for just a second because some people might not know all the references you're making. The indictments that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Talk specifically what those indictments were about. Sure. In, in July, uh, the uh, Department of Justice uh, announced indictments against, I believe it was, 12 uh, Russian nationals. You're talking uh, about the national stories, correct? That, that, that have to do that, that have to do with the Mueller investigation correct. and 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 these Russians that were attempting. Uh, to, to, to interfere. So so I, I guess what, this sounds like a great idea. These intrusion detection systems is a very good tool to use. This is one of the things that, that gets exaggerated out there. And this, I'm glad you brought this up initially. I'm sorry, Elizabeth, for taking up so much of the time, but but, but I want to keep going on, on this tech. A lot of people think, oh, when I'm, everything's connected to the internet. So when I vote, that could be so easily hacked when I vote. I want to go vote for Adam Laxalt, but it's actually showing up Steve Sislak because it's been hacked. Could that happen? One of the biggest misconceptions out there uh, is that the voting system is connected to the internet. It's not, right? Yes. There are, we describe, there's two separate systems. There's the voting system. Think of the actual voting machines. Think of the central tabulators. Think of the scanners that run the absentee and mail ballots. Those are all components of the voting system. That system is never connected to the internet. Then there's the voter registration system, uh, which is at certain points connected to the internet. So the voter registration system, think of the county voter registration databases. Think of our online voter registration website. Think of the, the e-poll books when you go to check in on election day, uh, when they check to make sure your name's on the roster. That, that is the voter registration system. And there are parts of that that, yes, are connected to the Internet and do increase risk. And that's why I mentioned earlier that we're really focused on the voter registration side. Uh, when we get to the voting system side, there's what's known as an, an air gap, uh, A-I-R, air, not uh, baseball air. Um, there, there's an air gap between the voter registration system and the voting system, and they never touch each other. There's always that gap in place, and so we never connect it to the Internet. All right. Elizabeth. So I want to ask um, if there's an update to uh, the story that came out of the primary 
uh, election uh, in which uh, it came to be found out, this is from the reporting of the Reno Gazette Journal mostly, um, that there were some irregularities, in other words, some failures of some voting machines, um, either candidates' names not showing up on ballots, or in some cases, my understanding, and this came into play in a Clark County special election, was you know some instances of double voting. It wasn't widespread. There were only about 300 instances statewide during uh, the primary. But nonetheless, the fact that there were so many voting machine failures basically across 11 counties, of course, I think has people a little bit uh, alarmed about, well, could this happen again? And could it be even worse next time? So what do you know about that as far as what's being done? I, I know that these voting machines have been purchased from a vendor that the state's been doing business with for a, for a long, long time. What What's going on with that? Yeah. So uh, first of all, I, I, w- I want to mention that the the equipment failure that I'm very, I'm very much aware of uh, was the result of, of a couple different issues, uh, largely human error, uh, but it was not the result of any sort of hacking or attempt to undermine the election uh, by some malicious actors. Um, as you mentioned, the, the, the counties all purchased new voting uh, machines uh, prior to the uh, 2018 primary election. Uh, so that was our first election uh, running the new voting system. There's actually two voting systems in use in the state now. Uh, Carson City went with a separate system. The other seven, 16 counties are with the, the, the longtime vendor that you mentioned. Um, so they all purchase new voting machines, and there's a little bit of a learning curve that comes with that, both for the voters themselves uh, and also for the poll workers. We've got great poll workers, uh, many that have been with us for many years, um, and uh, it, it takes a little bit of time to, to get them trained up on that. There, there were a small number of, of equipment issues that I would categorize as, as significant issues, um, there are always minor issues when it comes to the equipment during an election, whether it's a printer jam or a piece of equipment won't power on. Uh, there's dozens, even hundreds of, of minor issues that uh, the counties document and send to us in what's called a process report that's due 60 days after every election. Um, so there's always those, but there were uh, a handful of, of major issues uh, related to candidates, uh, certain candidates not appearing on the ballot, so the ballot was truncated. Uh, the candidates are listed in alphabetical order, and uh, a certain candidates uh, lower on the list were not included. And there was also an issue of a person inserting their voter card, and the ballot was already pre-marked. Um, and we verified those. Um, a handful of issues uh, that was not widespread at all. Uh, the, when the voter brought the issue to the attention of the poll worker, they were, they were able to correct that issue. Um, so what we've done to address that issue is twofold. Um, so we've increased the training requirement for all of our poll workers. Uh, for example, here in Clark County, all of the team leads, uh, these are the poll workers that are the, the, the head worker at all the polling locations are, are undergoing additional training right now on the equipment. Um, we've also engaged the manufacturer, and they've done um, uh, several firmware updates to the equipment uh, to make sure that those issues don't occur for the general election. Uh, those upgrades have been done. Um, it has gone through testing uh, with what we call the VISTL, which is the Voting System Test Laboratory. Uh, these are laboratories that are certified by the EAC, which is United States Election Assistance Commission. Uh, so it's gone through the VISTL testing. Um, and got a good report from them. And now it's going through uh, state testing. Uh, later this month, uh, we are going to go through state testing. The Gaming Control Board has been a great partner when we've needed them to, to assist us with testing uh, voting machines. And so they're going to be involved with that. Uh, they do a lot of testing of equipment. They've got a lot of experts on, on their staff when it relates to information uh, technology machines. Uh, so they're going to assist us with that um, so we're very confident that the issues have been addressed and that we won't see these major issues for the general election. There, there's always going to be minor issues uh, that we can deal with and fix on site. But, of course, we don't want to see these significant issues where candidates' names are being left off the ballot. And I'm sure, uh, I'm, I'm sure I'm not putting words in your mouth when I say that for everyone listening and who votes in an election, that if they see something that's unusual— uh, or that they're not have a question of something they're not sure about. The best thing to do is to speak up right then on the spot with your poll workers that are on hand, right? Absolutely. Um, 
that is a really important point because we can correct the issue right there on site. Uh, but if we're not made aware of the issue until after the fact, uh, then it becomes very difficult sometimes to remedy it. So if a person encounters an issue while voting or they have any question while voting, the best thing to do is to notify a poll worker. All of our polling locations are staffed with several poll workers who are there to help them out. And that, that's the best thing to do. If, there, if there's a con still a concern, uh, certainly after the fact, uh, we appreciate people reaching out to our office and notifying us. Uh, but it's important to let the people on the, on the ground know right away. Can I talk a little bit about because I, I, I want to actually vet this. I, I read James DeHaven's story. Mm -hmm. He's a good reporter. I, I assume you don't have much of a quarrel with his story. The reporting was accurate. You're referring to the Reno Gazette Reno's journal, journal story that I was just talking right. about. Yeah, right. Okay. I'm, just, I'm sorry. Yeah, the, the only quarrel I would have is the uh, insinuation that there were more errors than initially reported. That's, that's what I was wondering about. When I'm, gl I'm glad you brought that up because um, – how much of an autopsy can you do on something like this to directly trace, like, how many glitches there actually were? We can do a lot, but we are limited, too. Uh, there is an audit log on every single one of these machines uh, that is locked down. It can't be tampered with. Um, so every time it's powered up, every time it's powered off, every time it's accessed, there, there is that audit log. Um, but my, my, my main concern was that we don't know about all the errors on election day. So on election day, we have hundreds of polling locations across the state, um, hundreds of thousands of voters, tens of thousands of, of, of elections, probably not tens of thousands, but thousands of election workers. And these smaller issues that I mentioned that are uh, dealt with and addressed on site and corrected, they are recorded and noted but they don't make their way to the Secretary of State's office until we get these official reports 60 days later. Now, the major issues we're made aware of right away, uh, these issues that we need to address and um, provide a solution to. Um, so that was my, my biggest concern is that it, we, there wasn't unreported errors. It was just they hadn't been reported to us yet. We don't know all the errors on Election Day. A lot of the errors, too, um, in the process reports that are sent to us from the counties, uh, deal with the e-poll book, so not even the voting system side. Matter of fact, I think a majority of the errors that were reported were on the e-poll book side and not on the voting machine side. And this is, again, the, this is the equipment that checks you in where we look up your name in the database, make sure you're a registered voter. Uh, you, you said that um, uh, there, there, were, there were a couple of things, that the candidates' names were, were left out. And I, I've, I've, been do, I've been through a lot of elections here, and I got several phone calls, including from a former elected official. Who says, I've never had this happen to me in all the decades I've been voting. I went to vote, and the, and, and, and the name wasn't on the ballot. Uh, that, that's odd. Uh, but... Putting in your card and having a ballot already marked, Wayne, that's really bizarre. How, how does that happen? The, the, um, the voting system that is in use in the majority of the counties, uh, every county except for Carson City, uh, uses what's, what's called an activation card. It's a little card about the size of a credit card. Uh, when you check in uh, at the, uh, the desk, um, they issue you a card. I'm sure you're all, most of your listeners are probably familiar with this card. They, they use this system here in Clark County. They use it in Washoe County. Um, you get this card, and then you go to a voting machine of your choice, and then you, you insert it. Um, and the card has, the only information that's on the card is it lets the machine know which ballot style to pull up. And this is particularly important in, in a jurisdiction like Clark County, where they've gone to vote centers now, and, and any person in the county can vote in any polling lo uh, location. They have to have every single ballot style for every assembly district, every Senate district, every congressional district uh, ready to go. So it just lets the machine to, uh, know which one to pull up. Uh, these cards under the old system, uh, you would, you would kind of jam them in like in an ATM. It would, it would, it would suck it in. And then when your voting session was over, it would eject the card. Uh, the new system, it's much more like a card reader at the gas station now where you're reading your chip, and only about half the card is inserted. Um, and there were issues with that, with people removing the card prior to finishing their voting system uh, session. And so that's what we've, and, and that's where these errors with pre-marked ballots came up. Uh, and that's the issues that we've resolved with these firmware updates to the system. So, in, in other words, a voter would go to put in a card, and, and the person had pulled it out too soon before them, and so it would already show right. the previous. It would be showing them the previous person's ballot. Yeah, there's a little bit of cache memory uh, saved. Oh God, that makes sense. And that we've addressed the, the, those issues. But yeah, it's 
as I mentioned on the old machine, when you were done, it let you knew, know you were done because it ejected your card. Now, if you don't go all the way till the end and you and you and don't hit that last button and you pull out your card early, then um, uh, it results in what's known as a fled voter issue, uh, and and it brought up upon these issues. But it was, as I mentioned, that that happened in very few circumstances. So what I want to actually just follow up. So let's just say that happens for some reason that card gets pulled too soon. So now, technical on a technical basis, what happens? That ballot gets wiped clean, as far as we're concerned. It's just gone. Yeah. So or? that that voter did not vote. Okay. It results in what's known as a fled voter, and we we record those fled F L E D. Yes, fled. Okay. Um, and we re, re, uh, record those when the counties do their canvas in front of the county commission um, six days after the election. They they actually report on fled voters, and it's it's basically if you've got you know a hundred people that checked in at the e poll book, but you've only got ninety nine votes cast on the voting machines, you know there was a fled voter, and there's someone that checked in and didn't vote. So we had we had there's always a handful of fled voters every election, and we saw that again this election. It, it and the the it, it was kind of a unique combination of. Um, things that had to occur for it to happen. So the, the, the voting card, we, we reuse them. So once a person votes, it goes into a drop box, and then, and then we wipe it, and then we reissue it later in the day. Um, so if that card was reissued and used on that same machine later in the day, that's when it resulted in this, mm. in this error. So it was, it was kind of a unique set of circumstances that had to occur, and that's why it happened on such an infrequent basis. I appreciate you explaining all this stuff so clearly, and I really do hope, Elizabeth, people are listening to this, and, uh, and we're going to do our best to make sure that people hear all this, because you're explaining very clearly. One other phrase you used, and I just want to make sure we uh, people understand, you said almost all of this was human error as opposed to a machine error. When you say human error, you're generally not referring to the poll workers, right? You're generally referring to just voters not handling the machines correctly, right? Both. So, yeah, okay. there's voters not using the equipment correctly. And, and as I mentioned previously, there's a learning curve when it comes to the new equipment. Uh, we uh, posted signs uh, at all polling locations inside all polling booths reminding voters that you need to make sure that you see this screen. And it was, a, it was an image of the very last screen that when you're all done, you need to see that screen before you remove your card. We also made sure that our poll workers were watching and um, in Clark County, they have LED lights also uh, that hang above the voting machines. It works much like a like a part like a casino parking garage with all these green lights, and then you might see a or a smattering of red or red lights, I guess, if there's a parking space par there, and you you can kind of see where the open spots are. Uh, we got these red and green lights to let us know if there's an issue, and the and, and the poll worker can go right away and help that voter out if there if there's an issue. Um, but there was also human error on the poll worker side. So in the initiation of the voting machines, uh, that's what caused the truncated ballot issue. Uh, so in the initial setup. Um, and then the issues uh, in Clark County um, where there were instances of double voting. And these weren't people who were attempting to double vote. Uh, these were individuals who thought there was an error with their voting session and so approached a poll worker for assistance like they should. Um, and it turned out there was no error. They were able to cast their ballot correctly, but the poll worker didn't follow the proper procedure uh, to, to verify that and reissue them a ballot. So they ended up voting twice, and that's what caused um, the problems that related to the special election. So there was, when I say human error... And, uh, I just want to make sure that yeah. we, we got, got it clear who was li likely uh, at fault here. <clears throat> the problem with, with a story like the one that the Gazette Journal's J James DeHaven did is even if all the facts are right, and because everything is so easily blown out of proportion, right, people are going to take the nuggets from that they want to say, oh, look what happened. You had a few attorneys, I think, election experts in there saying – uh, a certain things, so so it can get uh, blown out of proportion. Uh, on the other hand, I'm sure anything like this concerns you, as 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 the guy who's who's essentially the election czar. I just gave you a new uh, a title <laughs> promotion. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, uh, and, and there, there's no dollars at it. I'm afraid you'll have to talk to the state about that. <laughs> but 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 I, but I guess what, what, what I'm wondering about with something with something like that is that I'm sure you have have a debriefing after any election with all the registrars. What went wrong? What can we do to help you? In other words, not just the canvas report that is that is reported, but you say, did you notice anything new? I assume you do that after every election, something like that. Uh, you're nodding your head. So I guess what – did anything new come out of those sessions with all of the registrars after this experience uh, in June? 
Yeah, so we, we actually met in Reno uh, in July after the primary election for several days with all the county election officials and went over these issues. We spent a lot of time talking about election security. We also spent a lot of significant amount of time talking about the primary election and things that went well and things that we learned. And a big thing to come out of that was training uh, for elections, full-time election staff, permanent election staff, uh, but also um, our, our poll workers. As I mentioned, this is the first time we've used this voting equipment in election. Uh, it was purchased just or either earlier this year or late last year, depending on the county. We had a very aggressive schedule of implementing and rolling out the equipment and uh, certainly saw a need uh, based on the reports that we got from the counties for increased training uh, for all those involved in the election process. Uh, I, I want to throw in a question here that's training related and not really off topic, but uh, just in another area. Some of our listeners probably already aware that uh, we did an explainer video not that long ago uh, about a training that took place on a state level um, in partnership with the Department of Homeland Security, um, who uh, is going at this because there is a federal concern now um, because of these fears of election tampering and you know, whether they're real or not, um, everyone at, at both the federal and state level, right, has an interest in making sure that the confidence of the electorate is intact. It's not good for in a democracy democracy for people to be concerned that an election may not be valid. So uh, if our listeners haven't watched that explainer video, I encourage them to check it out on our, our website. But just give us a quick kind of synopsis of what went on during that training. Uh, what, what were people trained on specifically uh, in that partnership with DHS? Absolutely. Uh, so last month, we uh, had a training uh, with the U.S. Department of Homeland Security, and uh, it was called a tabletop exercise, or TTX. Uh, tabletop exercise is a term they use in the military, and it's basically a way to role-play emergency situations and then uh, come up with responses, and then at the end, you evaluate uh, your responses and kind of, you know, things you learn and how you could do better. Um so the it wasn't just Nevada. All all states were invited. Uh, they did they did it over three days. It was the same exercise all three days. We participated in one day. Uh, we had about sixty people uh, from the state of Nevada participate um, uh, from our federal partners uh, at the DHS and FBI to state election and IT officials and county uh, election and IT officials. Um, and so what we did is there were a number of scenarios presented to us. Uh, they ranged from, you know, someone is putting out information on social media that uh, the polls are closed, uh, are closing early, or this polling place is down, or um, you don't have to register to vote for this election. So there, there were scenarios that had to deal with um, misinformation uh, out on social media. Uh, there were scenarios that dealt with you're not able to access your e-poll book on election day, uh, which has the roster of all those who are eligible to vote. How are you going to respond to that? So there were those type of scenarios. They were mostly cyber related, uh, either mis on the misinformation side or uh, someone maliciously uh, accessing your IT systems. And then we went over, uh, how would we respond? What, what systems do we have in place to not only identify uh, those issues, but to mitigate them and, and, and respond to them. And then where are gaps? Uh, what uh, systems would we like to have in place? Uh, do we have a plan that clearly details how we're going to respond if an incident like this comes up? And that's what, that's what we went through. Uh, it was really beneficial. Uh, the, the federal government, uh, particularly the U.S. Department of Homeland Security, has been a great partner. They've established an election task force. Uh, they've really done a good job getting up to speed, understanding our business, and then providing the, the, the help that we need uh, to secure our systems. 
You know, it's interesting. I'm, I'm glad Elizabeth brought up that that video that we did. And I hope people will go on the site, the NevadaIndependent.com, and take a look at our, our, our video on that. I'm sure you, you play that every morning to inspire your, yourself. <laughs> uh, but, 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 you know, it, it, it's interesting because I think people are wondering a little bit. As much as uh, I think you'd appreciate it if I put your cell phone number out on the Internet for people to call with problems <laughs> on Election Day, I assume that part of this whole exercise is that, listen, stuff is going to happen that's, that's actually real and then there's stuff that's going to be manufactured. There's going to be malicious actors on social media trying to screw with people on Election Day or, or during early voting, a reminder that there's two weeks of early voting uh, for people. What systems are going to be set up and say, I go to the polls and I, you know, something, I see something going wrong or something wrong happened to me. To kind of, I mean, you don't want to be flooded uh, with, with thousands of phone calls or emails, but there is a potential either for real, real mischief to occur mm-hmm. Or for just people to try to gum up the works? What do you do on election day to prevent that? So we set up uh, the Election Integrity Task Force every election day. Uh, It's headquartered here uh, in Las Vegas, uh, but there are members of the task force all over the state. Uh, They range from uh, law enforcement officials, uh, representatives from both major political parties, uh, election administrators, and uh, we have a hotline, a number that we set up. We encourage people to call in. We like people to call in. Uh, even if it's um, they're calling in about an issue that's really not an issue, they may be seeing misinformation. Uh, it's good for them to contact us and make, if we're, maybe we're not aware that that misinformation's out there. So make us aware of that and address that. Uh, we encourage people to get information from official sources. Uh, so the, uh, the, the big social media players, uh, particularly Facebook, and Twitter have been very helpful in making sure our accounts get verified. John, I can hook you up with somebody. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I knew that the shot. How am I not verified? Um, so, uh, so all of our uh, Twitter accounts at the, uh, for the Secretary of State's office and our local election officials, uh, they've expedited the verification process. Same with Facebook. Um, so that people know that they're getting real information from an unofficial account. So we encourage people to, to get information from the source, either from the Secretary of State's office or county election officials. And, you know, if their friend or somebody's saying something on social media, you know, maybe do a little bit of fact checking. But certainly if they have a concern, uh, they can reach out to us. And then the task force is set up so that we can respond uh, to concerns uh, in a pretty quick and expedited fashion, whether there's a power outage at a polling location and we need to uh, set up shop somewhere else or move voters to a different polling location, uh, or there is some voter intimidation going on at a polling place, or maybe there's electioneering going on within the restricted area, we can respond to that very quickly. This might, Let me just add this follow-up, Elizabeth, then I'll let you jump in. This may seem like a dumb question, and, and, and it could well be, but is there someone or a bunch of people specifically tasked on Election Day with, with monitoring social media to see what's out there? Uh, because some of the stuff that comes out on social media is going to be true, right? It's going to be stuff you're going to want to check out. Is someone actually assigned to to do that task? So we don't have someone doing that task now. Um, it's it's a big task. Um, we don't really have the resources to do that. It wouldn't be easy. I know. I, you know. I understand that. One of the benefits that has come out of our uh, partnership with the U.S. Department of Homeland Security and the, the designation of election infrastructure as critical infrastructure is the creation of a group that uh, that's called the EIISAC, the Election Infrastructure Information Sharing and Analysis Center. That's a great acronym. Yeah. Well, one thing I've learned uh, as the, the, the more that I get into the operations of the federal government is that there is not an organization on this planet that likes acronyms more than the federal government. <laughs> sure that's right. Um, so uh, there's a nonprofit organization called the EIISAC, uh, of which we're a member. All of our county election offices are members, and they they do what their name says. They're an information sharing and analysis center. Uh, they run something called the NKIC, uh, again, another acronym, <laughs> um, which is, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I can't tell you what that stands for. I'm still getting, it's, it, but it basically, it's, it's an information points. sharing uh, center. Uh, picture like the TV show 24, where you've got this room, like a NASA uh, space command, there's all these monitors on the wall and all these analysts crunching data. It's like that, the NKIC. And, um, so they're monitoring social media. They're monitoring data feeds from all over the world and different information sources. Um, and so we're really leveraging uh, their resources uh, to help us. And so they, they can notify us if they're seeing stuff. Uh, for the primary election, 
uh, they, they set up a uh, secure information sharing room, kind of like an old chat room that you used to use uh, back in the day um, where um, we were on there for the primary election and we could share information uh, as needed. Um, so I'm we, sure you'd be happy to give the Nevada Independent access to mm. that, all that chatting yeah. that's going yeah. on on election night, right? <laughs> so we can do live recording. Yeah, you'll recording. Have, to, I'll have to look about getting your security clearance <laughs> at the end of there. Um, you, Elizabeth, be fine. Forget me getting one, right? Yeah, <laughs> no skeletons in your closet. <laughs> exactly. So, um, so uh, we've been able to leverage our, uh, the resources of our federal partners to really do some of this monitoring that we just don't have the resources for at the state level. Um, you used a word that I'm familiar um, with, but if you were to really pin me down on what it means, it occurred to me that maybe even I couldn't explain it. So what is electioneering and what, what is and is not allowed on Election Day? I'm glad she asked that. That is going to all of that because there are laws that well, but, but people might think. Uh, because we've heard in, in past elections of voters being challenged. Every single uh, election, uh, yeah. there's complaints and, about and, what people perceive to be improper behavior. And sometimes it is, and sometimes they're just wrong about what's allowed. People campaigning too close to, to, to yeah. an election. So I, there, there was a whole chapter of, of, of NRS, which Wayne has just pulled out wow. here. Wow. And, and, and the only sure way to lose is listeners that honor, is, that is if he starts NRS reading book? it. Yes. So I carry this around <laughs> everywhere I go. I'm so it, impressed. It, 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 most people are, are proud of pulling the constant Constitution off in the pocket. <laughs> you pull out the NRS. Yes. It, it goes with me everywhere. My wife makes fun of me for That's it. That's a great question uh, from Elizabeth, though, because I think yes, people are... Yes, it is. Are... So electioneering is actually defined in law, uh, and it's, it's, it's basically promoting or advocating for or against a candidate or a question on the ballot. Um, so it covers things like posting signs, so uh, your, your campaign sign, uh, distributing literature, pamphlets, uh, using loudspeakers to broadcast information, um, buying, selling, displaying of badges or political insignia, so wearing a candidate's shirt or something. Um, so within 100 feet of every polling place is what we call the restricted area. And that is the area where electioneering is prohibited. Uh, so we... It, and what is, again, what is electioneering? So what does that, that mean? So that is um, basically encouraging or discouraging people to vote for or not vote for a set of candidates, a particular candidate, a ballot, a uh, question on the ballot. Uh, I, I the The main examples we see of electioneering... It also covers uh, petition signature gathering. Uh, so some of the main examples we see are those gadger, uh, gathering signatures for a petition um, uh, within the restricted area. Uh, we also see candidates trying to put their signs. Lots of times uh, candidates will park a car with campaign signs uh, in, the, in the windows in the parking lot outside the polling location. Sometimes, depending on where the polling location is located in the building, that uh, the restricted area covers that the portions of the parking lot. So we'll see that. Uh, it also covers uh, wearing uh, a, a, a campaign shirt to the polls. Now, if a person shows up to vote and they have a, uh, a shirt uh, that vote for this candidate on it, uh, we ask them if they can reasonably cover up or turn the shirt inside out. Uh, we ask them to do that. Uh, if it is not reasonable for them to do that, then we bring them in quickly, let them vote, and then get them out quickly. Huh. Uh, we, we, don't, uh, we work to enfranchise voters. Uh, we don't kick anybody out uh, that wants to vote. Um, but, but the electioneering really is an issue that probably the primary issue we deal with on Election Day is, is electioneering. And, and part of that, and, and Elizabeth mentioned this as well, voter intimidation, mm -hmm. uh, attempts to discourage people from voting. If I'm a lawyer for, for, for a campaign, uh, am I bound by that uh, 100-foot rule, or can I go and watch people sign in and say, hey, wait a second, that's not Elizabeth Thompson, that, that, that signature, that's someone else's signature. Can I do that? Yes. So there are, uh, we, we allow what are known as election observers. Uh, anybody, and we actually encourage people to be, if you have concerns about the security of the vote, uh, that certain people are voting that shouldn't be voting, if you have those kind of concerns, come out on election day, be an election observer, and see for yourself uh, the processes that we have in place uh, to make sure the vote is secure. Um, 
So we have these election observers. Uh, we make them check in with the poll workers. They wear a badge. Uh, we have an area designated for them. It's not uh, a little, you know, marked off box in the corner where they can't see anything. It's, it's so they can observe the conduct of elections. But we do not allow our observers to interact with the voters. And if they do, we're going to kick them out. Uh, but they can observe. They can take notes. If they do see something that concerns them, they bring it up to the poll workers. Don't, don't bring it up to the voters. Uh, bring it up to the poll workers. And if it's a legitimate concern, then it, then it will be addressed. There is something known as uh, a challenge. Um, if you are a voter uh, in the precinct and you see somebody there to vote uh, that you uh, know, uh, you have personal knowledge, uh, should not be voting there, then you can challenge them. And there's a process in law uh, whereby they notify the poll worker and they have to sign an affidavit saying they have personal knowledge that this person is an el- eligible vo- voter. Uh, and then that the, the voter who's being challenged, we will ask them certain challenge questions to verify that they are who they say they are and that they are eligible. Um, if successful, we'll let them vote. If not, um, we'll let them cast a provisional ballot while we're doing additional research. Is there enough staff? I mean, and this is certainly uh, more of a question for registrars, but you're certainly probably aware of it. Are the counties, and Clark County is where the biggest problem could be because it's, it's the biggest county, to handle all of these eventualities on an election day. You know, I, I've dealt with these poll workers for a long time. You know, almost all of them are very well-intentioned. It's not a fun job, right, uh, per, per se, but are there enough people that let's let's just take Clark County and Joe Gloria I think does a very good job uh, knows what he's doing to to deal with all these potential uh, eventualities on election day people misbehaving election observers not being real obse- election observers but trying to interact with voters do you believe that there's enough staff yeah there there are enough um Clark County in particular does an excellent job training their staff and recruiting staff uh, it, it does become difficult. We, we do pay our poll workers. Uh, it's not a lot of money, uh, but it, is, uh, it does compensate them for their time. Uh, and we're always on the lookout for poll workers. So if any of your listeners are interested, it's another way to be involved in the election process and learn about the, electoral, the election process. If you have concerns about the elections and you may have heard something that you're not sure is true, uh, but you want to find out, be an observer, but better yet, become an election poll worker. Um, we'll train you. We'll pay you a little bit of money. Uh, and then you will have firsthand knowledge of how the process works. Uh, we've had a number of poll workers that have been with us for years and years and years, and we, and we really appreciate their services. Uh, the, the, it is a little bit of a, a concern. Uh, you know, like I said, we, we train thousands every year, uh, making sure we get enough. Um, we want them to come back. We want them to have a good experience. Um, but on election day, we, we do make sure that we're, we're adequately staffed. And, and, and like I said, if, if there are big issues that our poll workers can't deal with, we've got the Election Integrity Task Force uh, that can respond uh, immediately. Um, this is a quick yes or no answer. I, I think this comes up every single election somewhere in the state. And the question is this. Uh, if I show up to vote and I'm in line... And we go past the official poll closing time. Let's say it's 7 p.m. Uh, what happens? Do, do I get to stay in line and vote or what, what's the rule? Yes. Uh, on election day uh, at 7 p.m., the, a poll worker goes out and either uh, gives a sign for the last person in line to hold or more often they'll just put a marker up behind that last person and uh, indicating that the polls are closed. Uh, but everybody who is in line at 7 p.m. can cast a ballot as long as it takes. Uh, in, a, in, a, in a busy year, uh, presidential election year, for example, you know, that line may take 30 minutes to get through. Um, and that's why election results are sometimes delayed uh, on election night uh, because we still got people voting. We're not going to release any results, even partial results, until every person has cast a ballot. Um, so yes, if you are in line by 7 p.m. on election day, you will be able to cast a ballot. I remember, <clears throat> excuse me, there were those pictures in 2016. I think it was at the Cardenas Market in in Las Vegas, where where people were, you know, li- lined up around the building, but they were all <clears throat> allowed to vote, and, and and some of the Republicans tried to protest that. Um, you, you've been great staying with us as long as you have. I, I do want to cover one other uh, issue. 
uh, which I think is a very important issue, but can be overblown. And it goes back to one of the initial points you made, Wayne, which is that if any mischief is going to occur, it's likely not to occur on election day, but through potential voter registration fraud mischief there. So let's talk about what those opportunities are. One of the complaints that you hear, not just from conspiracy theorists, but from, I think, partisans who really believe this happens, is that here in Nevada, where there is a significant undocumented population, that undocumented citizens are getting on the rolls and then being allowed to vote. We we have a concern with that, too, at the Secretary of State's office. As you both probably know, um, our office opened an investigation after the 2016 uh, general election uh, looking into this very issue. Uh, that investigation is still ongoing. Why is it taking so long? It's a it's a criminal investigation. Uh, it takes time. Um, I you know I, I work mostly on the civil side, um, and in order um, there are election crimes, and then there's civil violations. Sometimes the same uh, conduct can land you in hot water, both civilly and criminally. Uh, so I'm I'm generally kept kept out of the criminal side, uh, just because if we have to run a civil investigation for legal reasons. Um, so I don't know all the details of the investigation. I know it's ongoing. Uh, because it's an ongoing criminal investigation, I can't share more than that. But we have worked with um, our partners to to make sure that we're addressing that issue. We, we, we want to make sure those that are eligible to vote can register to vote and that it's uh, it's convenient and easy for them to register to vote. We don't want registering to be hard or burdensome. We don't want anyone not to register because it, it's difficult. Uh, at the same time, we want to make sure we have enough safeguards in place um, so that those that are not eligible to register to vote aren't registering to vote. Yeah, as 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 I can share more information, our office will be will be sharing information related to that investigation and kind of the steps we're taking. Is there urgency? Can you say this much? Is is there an urgency that you're aware of um, to wrap that investigation before election day? There is an urgency. Uh, there's always an urgency. Uh, but there's not an urgency in the sense that uh, we are going to rush this investigation and cut corners just so we can get it done by Election Day. So that's not what we're going to do. We're going to go where the facts lead us. And uh, if it's resolved before Election Day, uh, great. If not, we want to make sure that we aren't jeopardizing the investigation just so it can be done within a certain time frame. Right. And you'll call the Nevada <clears throat> Independent first just as soon as you get word, I'm sure. I think John will text me. He seems to know everything before <laughs> I do. <laughs> Thanks for that, Wayne. Well, what are the checks and balances that exist now for, for stopping uh, people who are not eligible to vote from registering? Yeah. Um, a, when a person registers to vote, um, we ask them for their Nevada driver's license number or uh, an ID card issued from the, the DMV. Uh, if they don't have that, you don't have to have a driver's license to register to vote. You don't have to have a driver's license ever. Um, we ask them for the last four of their social security number. They take that information and then we run it up against either the database that the DMV has or that the Social Security Administration has, and we verify their identity and their residency. So we make sure that the, uh, they have a record of this individual. They are who they say they are and that they're, uh, they live here in Nevada. Does uh, that mean that the odds are that if someone who technically isn't eligible to vote but has somehow managed to acquire a state ID and a social security number could game the system in they, that way? They could. That would be fraud. Uh, there, there would be, in addition to voter registration fraud, just outright fraud, uh, obtaining documents uh, illegally. There are those that don't have a driver's license or, or social security number. Um, you know, there are those out there. You wouldn't think of it. There are, and they're allowed to register to vote, too. Uh, we require them actually to come into to the, the office, though, and provide documentation uh, so that we know who they are and that they, they are who they say they are and they live where they say they are so we can put them in the right precinct and district. Uh, th so those are the, the current processes that, that we have in place. So some some uh, undocumented residents do have what I think it's called a driver's privilege card, driver's authorization, authorization card. card. They can't register with that. No. So the uh, when we run the information we get from the voter registration forms uh, against the DMV database, uh, we're only running it against the database of driver's license numbers, not numbers that are given out for the driver's authorization cards. So even if... 
there were ultimately criminal charges filed in this case that you're referring to, and there is actual fraud found, because that, that would be voter registration fraud that we're talking about. And, and this may seem like a silly question, but I don't mean it to, because I think this is one of the biggest misconceptions, and it's, being, it's been exploited at the national level, and it's been exploited to a lesser extent in Nevada. There is no evidence of any kind of widespread voter fraud in Nevada, and never has been. Because if there has, then, I'm an, then I've missed stuff over the years, Wayne. Yeah, there's no evidence uh, of widespread voter fraud uh, for prior elections. I can't speak to this current investigation that's going on. But uh, even that's not that widespread. Even if, how many people would be involved in that? So we've uh, we've released some information to the public. There are three individuals uh, that we know for sure that registered to vote uh, that were not eligible to register to vote, and then actually cast a ballot in the 2016 general election. Uh, there are additional people that we are investigating, and I can't share the, the numbers associated with that. Okay, so I'm going to do what I, what I usually try to do. Which is, okay, I know what you can't share, so let's see what you can share. Um, worst case scenario, and I mean worst for everybody if this, is, if this has happened, are we talking about dozens, hundreds? What can you say? What I can say is that the voters in Nevada should have confidence uh, that the election results are not tainted through uh, widespread fraud. The 2016 results are not tainted by widespread fraud. Okay. Uh, if, if, if that's all that uh, Elizabeth has, then uh, 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 this is a very important month in, in your business, is it not, Wayne? It is. Uh, September is National Voter Registration Month. Uh, the the uh, secretaries of state across the country through an organization called NAS, the National Association of Secretaries of State, uh, have designated September 2018 as National Voter Registration Month. Uh, Governor Sandoval has also issued a proclamation uh, naming September 2018 as uh, Voter Registration Month in Nevada. Uh, so we've got support from the governor's office. And uh, we, through, through the work of the Advisory Committee on Participatory Democracy, or ACPD, uh, we are working with uh, nonpartisan organizations uh, statewide uh, that want to encourage people to register to vote. Um, so we're going to be involved in various activities throughout the, the month. I always like to get a plug in for the ways that you can register to vote in Nevada. Uh, you can register to vote in person at your county election official's office. Uh, if you're going to do that, you'll want to bring documentation with you. Uh, if you have a driver's license, that's the best way. Uh, you, can you can register to vote through our paper mail-in voter registration form. And then uh, sometimes the most convenient way is just online. If you have a Nevada driver's license or a Nevada ID card uh, issued by the DMV, uh, you can register to vote online. Uh, you can also update your information online. So if you've moved recently or you want to change your party affiliation or you just want to check your voter registration status, uh, go to registertovotenv.gov, which is online voter registration. And uh, you can update your information or check your information. Say that URL one more time. It's www.register2votenv. The two is spelled out T-O. Uh, Register2votenv.gov. Uh, and that is our online voter registration portal where people can register uh, as first-time voters. Uh, they can update their existing registration or they can uh, verify their voter registration status. Uh, I'll give a little plug. I've uh, I've changed my address and other information related to my voter record online using that uh, system myself many times and it always works beautifully and I always get an updated card in the mail from the Secretary of State's office uh, in a pretty quick uh, amount of time after I do that. I'm glad you. I'm glad you reminded me of that because I'm moving and I and I and I, and I, and I actually uh, need <laughs> oh, to do that. Oh, you don't want to get flagged on election day. <laughs> that, that, well, that, that, you know it's interesting because you know uh, people may think this is really far away. The election, uh, early voting in Nevada starts six weeks uh, from Saturday, so it's, it's it's going to uh, really uh, creep up on people. And uh, I do want to say again. Uh, I, I don't even think the Secretary of State should be a partisan position. I think there's a good argument for not doing that. Uh, and, and, I, and, I, and I don't often say these kinds of things. I think the, the over 30-plus years of covering politics, government, and campaigns, I've dealt with some, some phenomenal people who deal, who work at the state. Barbara Sagaski is very lucky to have you in this position, Wayne. You, you, you've been, it's not just because you're very responsive, but, but you obviously, I can ask you almost any question. If you don't know the answer, you're going to go do careful research uh, to get the answer. The 
the pe- not only is Barbara Sagaski lucky to have you, but the people in the state should feel very confident that a guy like you is is overseeing the elections, and 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 I, and I really mean that. Thank you. I really appreciate it. I just I feel it an honor to work for the Secretary of State. Um, this has been the most fun I've had in my professional mm-hmm. career. Uh, lots of challenges. Lots of challenges. <laughs> um, I get to meet lots of uh, fascinating, interesting people. Um, it's just been a, it's just been a lot of fun, and uh, I'm I'm just very happy to be involved in in this world. I wish you the best of luck uh, in you. this coming election. Uh, I'd like to say have fun, but uh, it's probably not going to feel like fun by about midnight uh, on, uh, on, on election day. <laughs> but it is a long day. Um, <laughs> but it's 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 a fun day. Um, it's an interesting day. There's always issues that come up, um, but um, it's just you know. People, the, the, the right to vote is one of the most important rights to, to people of this country. And it's just an honor to be able to, to, to help them with that process and to be able to facilitate it and make sure people can express their votes. All right. Uh, Wayne Thorley, thanks Thank again you. for coming on the Indie Matters podcast. And Elizabeth and I will be back in a moment to talk about what Wayne just said. Stick around. Welcome back to Indie Matters, the podcast of the Nevada Independent. I'm John Ralston, the editor of the Nevada Independent, joined by Elizabeth Thompson, who is the managing editor of the Nevada Independent. All right, I'm going to present you with a simple proposition, Elizabeth, and I mentioned it a couple times. This has irritated me uh, for years. Uh, Why should the Secretary of State be a a partisan position? And uh, let me take it a step further. Why should it even be an elected position? Those are two great questions. Uh, I think it almost certainly should be a nonpartisan position, um, especially in today's politically charged climate uh, where the mere existence of a D or an R behind your name can lead to wild uh, allegations on the part of your uh, members of your opposing party. So I, I, I agree with you there. It, it should be. And I think there's a strong argument to be made for the fact that it shouldn't be elected because presumably in the position of secretary of state, which essentially oversees not only elections, but uh, most of the licensing that securities, goes on that kind of stuff. Uh, and securities in the, in the uh, state, you'd want to have highly competent, well-trained, well indiv- uh, well-educated individual uh, in those areas. I think we've sometimes had that uh, in past secretaries of state, and I think sometimes we maybe have not had that in our secretaries of state. Now, the good news is that people like Wayne Thorley exist, um, and some of those folks stay at the secretary of state's office for years and years and years and years. And so as a new secretary of state, when you come in, you already have a competent staff existing who knows what they're doing. They can bring you up to speed and train you. But no, I, th- I think I'm with you that uh, I don't see any reason why uh, perhaps the governor uh, couldn't appoint or some governor appointed board could perhaps uh, appoint or, uh, or or maybe partially uh, elect, not part, you know what I mean, a, a mix of votes and an appointment. Yeah, I think it'd have to be somewhat, some kind of bipartisan panel to do it if you were going to make an appointment. But let me just tell people how blatant this whole thing is. One of the kind of sub-Rosa conversations that's going, going on here, and occasionally it makes it out in, into the public domain, and it's occurring everywhere, is that Going into redistricting and the presidential election of 2020, how important it is for the political party X to control the secretary of state's office. It's a big deal. Why is it a big deal? Because they oversee an election. And so Republicans think they get an advantage if they have a a Republican secretary of state and Democrats. They have a Democratic secretary of state. Uh, I love the political game as much as anybody, as you know, Elizabeth. But that I mean, there is something really wrong with that. Yeah, there is something really wrong wrong with that. It always bothers me when I uh, hear that kind of talk as well, because it's the one, other than our judicial branch, I think it's the one part of our state government um, where partisanship simply should not come into play. All of those, all of us who care about democracy uh, and fairness and fair elections, um, I, I would think that we can uh, all agree on that. And, lo- and look, I'll say this, for the first time since Gore v. Bush in Florida, 
in this past presidential election, we had a man at the top of the ticket who was crying foul, claiming that the I mean, Donald Trump was claiming unequivocally that elections across the country had been rigged, that widespread fraud fraud had gone on, had gone on. He had no evidence for this at all at the time. Uh, but one of the reasons that these investigations now are going on, uh, not just in Nevada but across the country, are because we had uh, a president, uh, the man who won, was claiming that elections were uh, were rigged. And and when a national figure with a big, loud voice like Trump starts talking about rigged elections, you're going to have a certain amount of the population that gets very upset and very concerned and very exercised. And so it just, it creates this firestorm of worry and anxiety uh, over something which I think we just demonstrated in this conversation with Wayne Thorley is not a widespread problem. There are always going to be some issues here and there. But this country and the the members of these United States, we run the cleanest elections uh, in the world. I feel confident uh, of that. And I was really glad we got a chance to have this conversation uh, today so that our our listeners, hopefully, if they were concerned, can feel a little bit more reassured. And, and, you know, clearly uh, you're you're right about Trump, and it's a great point. And in fact, it's clear he thought he was going to lose the election and was crying foul and that it was going to be rigged uh, uh, in in advance. So let's just talk talk real briefly about what what Wayne Thorley uh, had to say. And and what, what what I liked hearing. And I actually learned some things that I never knew about today listening uh, to him talk. And and, and uh, that, believe me, everyone I think who, who knows anything about me, and you certainly know this, I wasn't just, you know, praising him for the sake of praising him. He clearly knows his stuff. He's a very, very solid guy d- doing this, as have most of the elections people I've dealt with over the years in the Secretary of State's office. What I worry about, despite all of the stuff that he talked about is there's so many sophisticated people out there now, not just – I'm not talking about the ability to hack elections because he made it pretty clear that that's almost impossible to do. But to cause the kind of doubt through the use of social media, to create perceptions on election day that are difficult for any media outlet or any group of media outlets to stop from metastasizing and becoming a real problem. That's what worries me the most. Well, and it's a valid worry because rumors on social media have no direct correlation to either of the voting systems that Wayne talked about, right? Machines and scanners and tabulators and on the other side, the voter registration system and the database and the website and uh, the, the e-signature boxes and all, and all that kind of thing. One of the things that's become very clear in this country in recent cycles is that rumors and innuendo spread faster on social media than facts do. And it only takes uh, a couple of seemingly valid uh, but unsubstantiated allegations of wrongdoing on social media to get shared on Facebook or retweeted hundreds of times before you've lit a bit of a firestorm in at least some segment of the electorate. Now, I do think these things get a bit overblown because those of us who spend time on social media tend to take it seriously, right? Because we're there, we're in that bubble with them. I think if you really broke down the percentages, you know, of, as we've jokingly called them, that tinfoil hat crowd, it's a very small proportion. But the problem with social media is that things get magnified and seem magnified. And then that's when people start to get that sort of social and cultural and political anxiety because they can't be sure is it true? How true is it? When do I start to be concerned and, and believe these rumors? But that, what you're, what we're talking about right now, that has nothing to do with the actual integrity of the voting systems. That's that's the human psyche at work. I want people listening to know that we've talked, Elizabeth and I have talked, and our staff has talked about doing more as the election gets closer to explain in on on the site. All, all of these kinds of issues with election security and just basic kinds of facts uh, uh, th- 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 that are putting that, that are being uh, put out. 
Uh, finally, Elizabeth, let, let, let's just talk a, a, a little bit about this notion uh, uh, that you and I have dealt with throughout our, our entire careers. And it, I thought it was going to come up with, uh, in, in the election of 2010, which you and I covered, uh, both of us covered uh, forensically. Uh, and that, that, that was the Reed Angle uh, Senate race where this, these lawyers did descend on the state and, and there were very good national lawyers from both parties. Uh, and, and in one sense, uh, I feel for the election officials here having to deal with, the, with them. Uh, but but, but these are, these are not tinfoil hat type people. These are people who know the ins and outs of election, election law. And I, I think to some extent they're just doing their jobs. They have a right to be concerned of the validity of the vote. But I think people listening should know that that, that Senate race, yes, it was nationally washed. It was going to be a big deal because Harry Reid was the leader. They thought they had him knocked off, uh, et cetera. But this year, this year, I, I worry more about about all of this stuff because it's not just one race, the U.S. Senate race, which could be, we don't know, but could be a pivotal race in determining control of the Senate, and an open governor's race, which doesn't happen uh, that, that, that often and, and is going to be nationally watched as well, that there is going to be, number one, I, I fear shenanigans. Uh, and number two, I, I fear the kinds of questions being raised by either lawyers uh, for, for, from, from the, the Washington, D.C. or here or in-state ones, and there's some good ones uh, in-state too, that's going to make our job of covering this election very, very difficult. It's possible that could happen. Uh, I hope it doesn't. You know, as, as Wayne said earlier, and you and I were both vigorously nodding our heads, we can only hope that these elections aren't very close <laughs> because in landslide victories, uh, it's very easy then to just say, okay, well, then even if there was were a few instances or even a few dozen or even a few hundred instances of human error or voting machine anomalies or whatever you may have, that we can all still rest easy um, that the result was the result. The, the problem is in very close uh, elections when you have these questions, then people get very irate, uh, as happened with Gore v. Bush. I mean, that ripped this country apart for a number of months. There are still people who are angry about Gore v. Bush all these years later, people who don't accept Bush, the legitimacy of the Bush presidency because they think that case went the wrong way down in Florida. And by the way, there were partisan concerns in Florida about who was running the elections and which attorneys were involved and where did the attorney general of Florida stand. So I'm with you that, you know, I fear and I can sometimes foresee on my worst days that a firestorm of that nature uh, could happen here uh, in, in Nevada. And I guess all I can say is that uh, we here at the Indy will do our best to stay apprised of uh, of what goes on and uh, keep everyone in, informed. And, uh, you know, I always hope for a, a smooth uh, election and, and a peaceful outcome that to me, that's part of what our what our country is about. I couldn't agree more. Very well said. Elizabeth, thanks, uh, as always. And uh, that is all the time that we have uh, for this edition of the Indie Matters podcast. I, I always like to remind people that this podcast also uh, uh, appears on the radio, KUNV, every Thursday at 8.30. Uh, we want to know what you think of this, of this podcast. Do you have ideas, criticism, or even praise? Email us at ideas at the NVND.com. Don't forget the URL of the main site, the NevadaIndependent.com. We always want your feedback on that, too. Thanks again uh, to Wayne Thorley for taking the time. He's usually not in Vegas, but he did, came down and did this uh, for us. And thanks, as always, uh, to our great hosts here at KUNV. Uh, we love partnering with them on this podcast. We love doing stuff uh, at UNLV. And, and last but never least, many thanks to Joey Lovato, our fantastic producer who makes all of us sound Elizabeth. Podcast smooth. Uh, she is the smoothest. I'm John Ralston, not the smoothest, the editor of the Nevada Independent. Thanks for listening to Indie Matters, and we'll talk to you next week. Music.